0: let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the thrill and privilege of being in God's house today. We thank Thee for those who have come to visit the strangers within our gates, and for every person who has come with a burden, some with hearts that are disturbed, some in sorrow, some in sickness, some in trouble. And there are many within the sound of our voice today who are lost and should their life and light flicker out just now, they would go into an eternal waste of eternity, out into the nether gloom, lost, without God and without hope, O Holy Spirit, do Thy work of conviction, and drawing men and women and boys and girls to Jesus today. We pray in His name. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 54, I'd like for you to follow along in the Scripture as we read these 17 verses. Sing, O barren, thou who didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou who didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the nations and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with thee nor rebuke thee. For the mountain shall depart, And the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from me, from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, who hath mercy on thee. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbungles, and all thy borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals of the fire, that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, saith the Lord. This is one of the great chapters in all the Word of God. And you'll notice in context Chapter 54 comes between chapter 53 and chapter 55, and you say, well, that's good arithmetic. But if you'll notice chapter 53, that's the story of the Messiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. And if you'll notice chapter 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy and unto our God, for he will abundantly pardon. In other words, chapter 54 is that wonderful, beautiful chapter between the atonement, the redemptive work of Christ, in chapter 53 and the marvelous invitation of chapter 55 whole everyone that thirsteth, come ye and buy, come without money, come, come, come. And between these two chapters is that wonderful passage that outlines the heritage of the servants of the Lord. The text of this passage, the text of the message today is chapter 54 verse 17. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, saith the Lord. Now who are the servants of the Lord? Primarily, chiefly, The servant of the Lord is Jesus. These messianic passages in Isaiah all point to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. But when we put our trust and faith in Christ, then all those passages and promises and truths concerning the servant of the Lord become promises to us. They become our basis for rejoicing. They become our song in the night. They become our line of living. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And briefly, I'd like for us to look at three areas this morning as we think of this. Number one, the reality of the heritage. Number two, the rewards of the of the heritage, and number three, the righteousness of the heritage. First of all, the reality of the heritage. Is the heritage of the servants of the Lord all that is outlined in this wonderful chapter, all that we say about being free from sin and its condemnation, all that we say about being pardoned? having received a retrieve so that life doesn't have to be wasted? And the years that we have here are not just wasted years. Is all of this just a mirage in the desert? Sometimes we drive in the desert areas of our country, especially out in New Mexico or Arizona or Southern California, Utah, And in those areas when you drive down the road and there are no trees and it's a hot, sunny day and the sandy deserts stretch out, you look down the road and it seems way down in the distance that there's a lake. And you want to accelerate the car to get faster because all of the parched, dry ground around you has made you thirsty and psychologically has had its bearing upon you. So you try to get down to that lake. But the faster you drive, the farther away the lake is because it's only a mirage in the desert. Is that the way it is with the servants of the Lord? Is that the way it is with those who say, I know Jesus, I know Him as my Savior? Is it only an illusion? Is it based on just an emotion? Is it a balloon that will all too soon burst? And all of our thrill and all of our enjoyment and all of the excitement will all be gone. Is it only temporary? R.A. Tory was an atheist. He was an infidel. He didn't believe anything about God or the Bible or about heaven or about hell. Then one day he met Jesus. God completely turned him around. And as he walked with the Lord in the light of His Word, there was a glory about R.A. Torrey and his wife. They had a joy and an exuberance about their lives. But some of their old friends said, Mr. Tory, it'll soon pass away. It'll soon be gone. When you meet the tempest, when you meet the tough times, when you come to all the hurdles of life, all that you say you have, it'll all go up as a vapor. God gave R.A. Torrey and his wife a beautiful, handsome little boy to live in their home. They loved him. He was the apple of their eye. It was almost a, a worship of that little fellow. Oh, how they loved him. They did everything in rearranging the schedule of their home to bless that little baby, take care of him, and as he grew as a little child, It was almost as if the sun would rise and set in their little boy. And one day he got sick. The sickness was very, very serious. The doctor said, your little boy cannot live. One night as he went down into a valley, they stood around the bed all night long. They kept vigil. As the morning came, the little boy closed his eyes in death. Mr. Torrey and his wife knelt there. There were tears. There was hurt. There was heartbreak. Mr. Torrey reached out and got the hand of his wife. He said, honey, it's all right. The same God who enabled us to take care of the little boy will take care of us. As we place ourselves in His hand, and R. A. Tori said, suddenly there came stealing over his heart and over his life a quietness, a serenity, a peace, a security. God gave it, and he faced the rest of life with a new song in his soul, with a new spring in his step. Disappointed, yes, but with a real faith that was not a balloon. It was not a mirage, it was reality. Oh, how well do I remember how I doubted day by day, for I did not know for certain that my sins were washed away. When the Spirit tried to tell me I would not the truth receive, I endeavored to be happy and to make myself believe. When the truth came close and searching, all my joy would disappear, for I did not have the witness of the Spirit bright and clear if at times the coming judgment would appear before my mind, oh, it made me so uneasy, for God's smile I could not find. But at last, I tired of living such a life of fear and doubt, for I wanted God to give me something I could know about, so the truth would make me happy and the light would clearly shine, and the Spirit gave assurance that I am His and He is mine." So I prayed to God in earnest, not caring what folks said. I was hungry for the blessing. My poor soul, it must be fed. When at last by faith I touched him, and like sparks from smitten steel, just so quick salvation reached me. Oh, bless God. I know it's real. It's real. He's real. Oh, I know he's real. Praise God. The doubts are settled. I know. I know he's real. Is this heritage of the servants of the Lord only a mirage, only a balloon, only an emotion? I submit to you today on the authority of the Word of God that it's real, and when we know Jesus Christ, He's real in our soul, He's real in our life, and when we walk through the valley, when we're up on the mountain, wherever we are, the reality of Christ is just as real. But secondly, I want us to notice the rewards for which are the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now listen, when you put your trust in Christ, He pays you well. Now I don't say that you'll become a millionaire overnight or that every Christian will have two Cadillacs in his garage or you'll have four turkeys in your oven. But I want to tell you, God pays His servants well. There's a rich heritage for those who know the Lord, and it's outlined in these 17 verses of this wonderful chapter. The simple statement, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Are you a servant? What are the heritage? What is the heritage of the servant of the Lord? Number one, in verse one, sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou who didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. What does this say? God gives a song in the night. Ladies and gentlemen, there are going to come times in your life when you you need a song. Your heart's going to be filled with sorrow and hurt. Friends that you have known and loved will disappoint you. People who have been closer to you than life's closest associates and friends will perhaps stick a knife in your back. They'll offend you. They'll hurt you. They'll misunderstand you. And then you'll walk down through a valley and the dearest of Earth's loved ones will be taken away. But in that dark hour, there's a song in the believer's life. I have a song that Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody, it's the melody of love. I love the Christ who died on Calvary, for He washed my sins away. He put within my heart a melody, and I know it's there to stay. In my heart there rings a melody. It's the melody of love. Do you have that in your heart? Do you have a song in your soul? Deep inside, when Brother Chuck announces a song, and we sing, it is well with my soul. What do you do? You just stand there with an ashen face, your lips closed? I want to tell you, if Jesus Christ abides in your heart, if the Lord is inside, He puts a song in your soul. And I'm not only talking about singing in the congregation of the righteous. I'm talking about singing in the dark, in the dark night. I'm talking about singing in the hour when life has gone all wrong, and when you do not have enough money to pay your bills, and when things are not right, and they're not going your way, and you did not get the promotion and business that you wanted to get, the Lord still gives a song in the night. That's what He said He'd do. That's the heritage of the servant of the Lord. But there's another heritage. In verses 4 through 10, we read about fearlessness in the face of fear. Fear not. Put the shame. For thou shalt not forget the shame of thy youth, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any longer. What is it that causes us to fear in the dark days of the Depression? Mr. Roosevelt, President Franklin Roosevelt, used to have fireside chats. I think we need some more of those in our day. Franklin Roosevelt lived in an era, and some of you who were alive in those days and have a memory, Remember that regardless of the kind of man Roosevelt was, he seemed to know how to pray. Lots of times in those fireside chats, whether it was political or some other reason, he would pray. There's a genuine, obvious absence of prayer in the affairs of the nation today. Roosevelt would pray. Then sometimes he would say to the American people, in the dark night when there were soup lines, and men didn't have enough money to pay the bills in their homes and they couldn't get a job and they stood in line all day, he would say, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. What are we afraid of? What are Christians afraid of? What are people afraid of? Sometimes we're afraid of the skeletons in our closets. We're afraid of our past sins. We're afraid of the mistakes of our youth. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid we've been not accepted by others. We're afraid we won't have enough money. We're afraid of judgment upon our sins. Sometimes life is filled with so much fear that instead of having the joy of the presence of the Lord, we live dwarfed lives and we limp along, afraid to lift our hearts, afraid to lift our eyes, and we live in fear. This book says... The heritage of the servant of the Lord is fearlessness. We do not have to be afraid because Christ will be with us no matter what the valley, no matter how dark the night. Christ is the light of that light, of that night. In Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's an interesting verse. There can never be a shadow unless there's a light. On a dark, cloudy day, there are no shadows. When everything is dark and everything is cloudy, there are no shadows. And yet that verse says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, reminding us that Christ is the light. Even in the face of that last enemy death, Christ is the light. We do not have to be afraid. I submit to you today on the authority of God's Word, we do not have to be afraid of anything that comes. I don't believe a Christian even has to be afraid of dogs. Now I think we, don't, we need to know which dogs to respect. <laughs> but I know some people that just live in such fear if a dog yelps, boy they run. Some people are so afraid to drive a car, they drive down the road 15 miles an hour, scared to death that they'll get over 20. And they're the ones that cause a lot of wrecks. I don't believe we have to be afraid. God has taken fear from the servant of God. And if you are walking in the light as he is in the light, you do not have to be afraid. Walk with fearless tread as Christ walks with you. And I believe this truth is, can be applied to every practical area of our life. We do not have to be afraid in the face of sickness. We do not have to be afraid in the face of sorrow. We do not have to be afraid in the face of war. I was talking to Joe Gentry's dad the other night. He's in the hospital very seriously sick. His dad and mother said to, you know, Joe, was in Vietnam, and I understand he was shot down one time. And they said to him, Joe, how do you feel when you're up there in one of those helicopters and you know that you may be shot down? This may be the very end. Joe said, well, Mom, I just put my life in God's hand. I say, God, here I am. I'm yours. You take over. And if I live, i live to you. And if I die, I'll come to you. We don't have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid. Christ has robbed life of its fear, and this is the heritage of the servant of the Lord. And one of the big obstacles in our way as believers in God is fear. So many times people live little dwarf lives. Sometimes churches live little dwarf lives afraid to reach out and do the impossible for God. We don't have to be afraid. And then sometimes we're afraid of judgment. A believer in Christ doesn't have to be afraid of the judgment because the judgment is in the hand of the Lord and our sins have already been judged in Christ. Something else is the reward, not only a song in the night, not only freedom from fear and not only comfort. Not only protection, God says here, oh wonderful truth. He says no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. The Christian doesn't have to be afraid. If God be for us, who can be against us? Dr. R.G. Lee had a lot of enemies. He had a lot of friends too. One time he was in our church preaching and We'd warned some people, urged them to please take their babies to the nursery. He was a fearless man. He, liked, liked, he was like Billy Sunday. <clears throat> and, and the little baby started crying. And Dr. Lee just stopped. He said, I just will sit down until you either take the baby out or let the baby preach. You know, some of our people didn't like that, got mad at him. Months and, oh, I guess two or three years later, I mentioned something about that to Dr. Lee. He said, you know how much that bothers me? He said, that bothers me as much as a little gnat on the ear of a mule. He said, criticism doesn't bother me. When I'm doing the will of God, it doesn't bother me. Sometimes in our Southern Baptist convention, they used to criticize him. Dr. Lee preached one time at St. Louis on the second coming of Jesus. The music hall was jammed and packed with people. And he was preaching and holding people spellbound. And there was a little handful of liberals over here, and we've got some liberals. And they started booing him. They got up and started to walk out. And Dr. Lee said, go ahead, walk out. I can hit a moving target just like I can a still one. I want to tell you, When you're in the will of God, you do not have to be afraid of criticism. You don't have to be afraid of cynicism or skepticism. Just be sure you're doing what God says to do and go on and do it. That's true with a church. That's true with a man of God. That's true with a preacher. That's true with a father in his family who has taken a stand against sin and his children don't like it. That's still true. It's true with a politician. I'm glad we've got some men, at least one that I know of, who will stand for something and will not budge, though tossed by every human foe. I thank God for Charlie Wilson who went to to Washington some time ago with a whole band of people from our city while all of them were drinking, our officials, crousing around. Charlie Wilson and his wife stood firm on some principles and truths they knew were real. You know, I have a friend in this city who may surprise you. May <laughs> really surprise you. It surprises me sometimes. I never understand it. You wouldn't believe that Jimmy Bryant is a friend of mine, would you? I hate his whiskey. I preach against it every time I have a chance. And I always will. I despise whiskey. And I'd like to see every one of them closed. And the other day when a whiskey place got bombed, I sort of mumbled under my breath, praise the Lord. That man says he's a friend of mine. I want to tell you, I love him. I love his soul. I've been to almost every saloon and liquor place in this city talk to those men about Jesus. Sometimes if you've seen me come out of a liquor place, you can be sure that I haven't gone in there to buy any liquor or even a Coca-Cola or a loaf of bread. I went in to talk to that man about Jesus. I'm ashamed that I haven't been into every one of them. I intend to do that before I leave this city. I don't believe you have to be afraid of anybody or anything when you stand for God. And this church doesn't have to be afraid no matter what the threats are, no matter who says what, the heritage of the servant of the Lord is fearlessness. You suppose Isaiah was afraid? You suppose Jeremiah was afraid? You suppose Elijah was afraid? And when you stand for God, you do not have to be afraid. Just stand for it. And then there's another reward for the faith for the servant of God. Now in verse 2, faith to move forward, enlarge the place of thy tent, let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. The heritage of the servant of the Lord is faith to go forward, to move out, to attempt the impossible. That verse has inspired saints through the ages. It was the heartbeat in the life of that great missionary who stood in England and said, God has called me to Burma. I'm going. Somebody said, sit down, young man. If God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help. But that man stood fearless, and God gave him the faith to lead all of England in a great missionary movement. He became the founder of the modern missionary movement. I believe God can do something like that here. I believe God's tugging at the hearts of some young man, some young woman in this church, in this congregation, even here today, in the choir somewhere. God is saying, I want to use you. I want you to dare to do the impossible. I want you to dare to do something that's beyond the normal, beyond the minimal, beyond the average, and I'll bless you and I'll be with you and I'll take care of you if you'll do it. And God will use you if you can rise above those fear strings that would pull you down and fasten you to mediocrity. If you'll just get up and say, here am I, Lord, here am I. I'll fear nothing but you and hate nothing but sin. God will bless you. That's the heritage of the servant of the Lord. I believe at the right moment At the right time, God is going to give his marching order to this church. He's going to say, Glendale, dear Glendale, get up and go marching. Go out, enlarge thy habitation, lengthen thy stakes. Go out and claim this city for Christ. It may mean purchasing property. It may mean sacrifice of everything we are or have, putting it on the line for God. I believe God will give us fearlessness in the face of His commission, commission, and we'll be able to get up and go. I think the same thing is true of some who are right here in this auditorium. God is saying to you, You ought to be part of this church. You ought to be part of a great work that's going to try to reach this city for Christ and out to the regions beyond. The shadow of the influence of this church will be cast across the world and the sun will never set upon it as young men, young women go out with a Bible under their arm, with a song in their soul, with a message in their, in their lips about Christ dying for the sins of the world. And you're going to be here at the home place holding the lines financially in prayer, in leadership, teaching and working and helping. I believe God is calling some of you to move your membership to this church, become part of a great work for God. Some of you who are already saved need to follow the Lord in baptism, become part of this fellowship. And where God will give you fearlessness to do it, He'll give you the faith to do it. And I've already preached over time. My last point is just this one thing the righteousness of the servant of the Lord, the righteousness of the servant of the Lord. Look at that very last verse. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, saith the Lord. I'm glad that's in the Bible. God doesn't expect us to go out in our own righteousness. He doesn't want us to go out pretending we're good when we're not good. Did you know there's not a good man in this building today? Somebody stands right on the brink of a life of greatness and he settles for mediocrity because he says, well, I'm scared I can't hold out, scared I can't do the thing that I know that I want to do and God wants me to do. I want to tell you, the righteousness is not from you, it's not from me, it's his, his righteousness. And in Psalm 32, we read about, blessed is the man whose righteousness is in the Lord, whose sin is not imputed against him any longer. And in Romans chapter 4 we read that our righteousness is an imputed righteousness. That is, it is something that God gives us. We don't work it up. A man doesn't quit a thousand things and start a thousand other things in order to be righteous. He doesn't say I'm going to reform my life and turn over a new leaf and I'm going to quit all my old habits and I'll start something new and maybe God can use me. Oh no. What he needs to do is to just come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't have any righteousness. I am a sinner, and I know that thou art the Savior, and I ask you to come into my heart, and may your righteousness reign and live and rule through me. And friend, when you do that, he takes over. You've come to the end of your rope, and he takes over, and he moves into your life, and he begins to operate through you, and your hands begin to do the things that he would do if he were here. Your lips begin to speak the things that he would speak if he were here. Your ears begin to hear the things that he would hear if he were here. Your eyes begin to see the things that he would see if he were here because he operates through you. The righteousness is of him. That's the the heritage of the servant of the Lord. May we pray. (coughs) Our Father in heaven, we pray this morning. That the Lord Jesus will receive the glory and honor. Oh God, call from this place strong men, strong women who will not be afraid but who put all their trust in Christ will begin to walk with the Lord in the light of his word will trust that you'll give the grace here and the glory after a while. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? I'd like to ask that no one leave while we sing this invitation. This is God's invitation. Listen carefully. If you're here today without Jesus, you've never been saved. You need the Lord. I want to urge you to put your trust and confidence and faith in Christ and receive Him as your Savior. Some of you are already saved. You need to take a stand for God. I believe God wants someone here today to just step out for the Lord. Say, you know, I've already become a Christian. Before I came here today, I was already saved. But I want to become part of this fellowship. Either on statement of your faith, or following our Lord and believers' baptism, or moving your letter to what God tells you to do. And somebody here today, I believe, God has called to his service. I'm convinced that there's someone in this place today that God is dealing with. He wants you on the line for him. To lay your life on the very line for Christ and say, Lord, here I am. I surrender it to you. Will you do it? While we pray, while we sing, who will be the first to step out for the king? Will you come quickly? Come right now. I believe God wants you to do it. Just do it now while we sing.